Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. This morning, sorry about the flat tire. And we have these new gray comfortable seats for you, so just I'm sure you're loving those. All right, everybody, let's go to the book of Matthew. Uh, We are in a series going from Christmas to Easter. Uh, Christmas is where we celebrate Christ's birth, and wouldn't you know it, that's where the book of Matthew begins. Easter uh, and Good Friday, we celebrate Christ's death and resurrection, and wouldn't you know it, that's where the book of Matthew ends. So we're just going to take one story um, through Christmas to Easter, and we are in a series uh, of teachings that uh, theologians call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on the uh, mountainside when he's giving this. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what, we, what we've got to do, because the book of Matthew is so epic and so great, uh, and so big, we we got to pick and choose a little bit as we go through it. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, there's some material that we covered last fall uh, in a conversation that we were calling Jesus Hates Religion. And you can check that out, but we're going to skip some of Matthew 5 and some of Matthew 6 to get to Matthew 6, verse 19. We'll start there. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we will put the uh, verses up on the screen for you to follow along. And again, we're very glad that you're here with us this morning. Jesus has just ended a section of teaching where he was talking about doing public religious things for the sake of getting approval by others. And he wasn't real fond of that. He's fine with public religious things for the glory of God, but not public religious things for your own glory. And then he takes the opportunity, one of the examples he uses is that of giving. Back in the day, you would give very publicly in the temple, and there were some folks who would actually blow trumpets to announce when they were giving. Jesus is condemning that, but... While he's talking about giving, he transitions into a passage that many of us are familiar with. Verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, the way you would store up treasures... Good morning. How we doing? Do you have a flat tire coming in? These folks were late because they had a flat tire. We overslept. Yeah, that's right. We appreciate honesty, don't we? There's some days I'd rather be sleeping too. Now, but I've got to listen to myself three times a weekend, so you can at least do it once. Matthew 6. All right. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, back then, you didn't have 401ks. You didn't have, like, safes. You didn't have safety deposit boxes. So what you would do is literally you would have a box And the two most precious things you would have, you would have uh, uh, material, literally clothing material that would be passed down um, from generation to generation, or you would have precious stones. And what you would do is you would take this box, you'd put the, the precious stuff in it, and then you would bury it under your house. Or you would bury it Uh, in a hill nearby or in a field nearby. Jesus tells a parable that starts with, there was a man who discovered treasure hidden in a field. And so what literally you would do, the biggest concern you had, you couldn't insurance, there there wasn't insurance back then, so you worried about the moths corrupting the cloth that you had or Steve's taking the precious stones that you had, and you would fret about the best place to hide this. So Jesus takes a very common image. Did that light just turn off? Because all of a sudden you look brighter. And I mean intelligence-wise. Dad's getting baptized in that, huh? It's kind of big. Are you glad to be sitting in the second row? Okay. You got to stay awake when you're that close, huh? 
So Jesus has this image of storing up treasures on earth that's very common for people of his day. You would just have this box, you'd hide it. But his point is, obviously, the treasuring that people were doing back then was incredibly insecure because you could lose it at any moment. He contrasts that with this. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the phrase treasure in heaven, I am incredibly underwhelmed. I, when you talk about treasures on earth, I know exactly what those are, and they're kind of exciting. Treasures in heaven, I have no idea. Is that like extra wings? Is that like a bigger harp than other people? I have no idea what this means. And so normally, I'm being minorly sarcastic, um, so, so normally I hear treasures on earth, treasures in heaven, and I go, ah, I'm not sure what he's talking about. Part of the misunderstanding is we think heaven is some other place at some other time. And I want you to understand that Jesus clearly teaches that God has a glorious future for those people who follow him. But the Jews didn't call that heaven. The heavens literally is the realm all around us right now where God rules and reigns. And so the heavens are the invisible realm of God's rulership that breaks in to the earth. Literally, that's when Jesus prays, teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a future thing. That's like happening now. And and if I'm losing you on this, that's okay because it's not a central point. But I want you to understand, Jesus isn't talking about storing up treasure for the future. He's talking about you can live your life storing up things of value that you have because treasures aren't just money. Anything you value that you can lose is a treasuring on earth. And Jesus contrasts storing up treasures on earth now versus storing up treasures in heaven now. If you invest in the things of you and on earth, those are all available now for your enjoyment, but they will go away, his point is. If you invest and enjoy the things of God now, they're available for you now, but they don't perish over time. They're incorruptible. Now, if I've lost you, it gets worse. Verse 22 The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, to to the Jewish people that Jesus was talking to, this would have made instant sense. Because there were two common ways of referring to greedy people and to generous people. Greedy people had an evil eye or a bad eye. Generous people had a good eye. Or a healthy eye. So what Jesus was saying is, listen, your eye and your heart are connected. If you're the kind of person that looks out on the world and sees scarcity, what you will end up doing is you will have a stingy eye and you'll clutch and you'll grab and you'll hoard onto things and you'll envy the things other people have. But if you look out on the world and you see it as God's good world and God is a loving father, then what you will do, you'll have a good eye and you'll be generous with what you have. So it's literally, he's saying the same thing twice. You can store up treasures that will be corruptible, or you can store up treasures that will be incorruptible. Likewise, you can focus your eyes, your life, your heart on things that ultimately reflect a stingy, jealous, envious heart, or you can invest and focus on things that reflect a generous heart. Are you guys tracking minorly with this so far? Okay, now... 
One last thing Jesus does. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And notice, keep the verse up if you would. Notice money is capitalized. So what Jesus, what Jesus does here is pretty epic. He, the word serve is the reason money is capitalized. Because he says the word serve, it can also be translated worship. Um, so he says there are two objects for your service. God or money. He actually, this is the only place Jesus actually names a rival in talking about followership of him. This is the only place where he actually names a rival something that will war for the allegiance of his followers. That's the reason it's capitalized. You cannot serve both God and money, but don't we think we can? Am I the only one that thinks we can do both? I want all my stuff with a little Jesus sprinkled in. Thank you very much. Right? I want the American dream. Doesn't Jesus, I mean, it's not even Jesus sprinkled in. Jesus wants me to be rich for crying out loud. Of course, that's what he died to give me was wealth, of course. So it's not just, hey, I, I, I actually want Jesus to baptize the idea that the goal of my life is to have as much stuff as possible. So not only does Jesus come into a world and say, hey, this is, this is an either or. See, I'm a both and kind of person. I want my treasure on earth and my treasure in heaven. Right? I want a good life now and a good life when I die. I'm a both-and kind of person. Jesus comes with a bunch of either-ors. You're either storing up treasure on earth or storing up treasure in heaven. You either have a good eye or a bad eye. You either serve money or you serve God. See, we like to think money's just purely neutral. And Jesus, by talking about it in terms of worship, tells us that money actually is a power and a principality that seeks to dominate us. And, and I think if we're honest, we know that. There's something, there's some mystical connection I have with stuff that starts corrupting me. And this is a dumb example I used a couple of months ago, but my wife and I have two vehicles. We have an 11-year-old truck that was given to us at year 10. This thing is stinky, it's smelly, and I'm talking about the truck now, not the driver. And, and it, it, my wife drives it. And um, no, I'm just kidding. It is, it, I mean, it, there's stains. It's just, it is, it, it doesn't work. I mean, it, it's awesome. It's got like 130,000 miles on it. When my kids are in that truck and they spill something, do I care? Nope, just adds to the flavor. If somebody, if I'm parked in tight and somebody opens the door and leaves a mark, do I care? Not at all. It just adds to the character, right? If somebody said, hey, could I have your truck? Would I care? No, you could have it. Like, I am not mystically connected to that thing at all, right? I own that thing. It doesn't own me. And yes, you can have it, young man, whoever said that. You just got to give me a ride to Lumen right after this, and then... But then, last year... My wife and I bought a minivan. Now, do you know the destruction that does to the masculine soul? When all of a sudden, like, your big purchase is a minivan with leather seats and a DVD player so the kids don't go nuts. 
When I drove from Ohio to Florida, we didn't have DVD players, kids. We didn't even make us wear seat belts. My brother and I were wrestling around in the back seat going 90 miles an hour. It's a different sermon. When my kids spill something in the van, do I care? When my kids put their stinky little feet up on the back of the seats, the leather seats, do I care? When somebody dings my little van in a parking lot, do I care? So, the question is, at what point do I own the van, and at what point does the van own me? Right? The thing I found isn't that the more you have, the less you worry. It's just the opposite. The more you have, the more you worry. The more you've got to protect. So what Jesus is saying, he's identifying there's some, I mean, like I can pack a suitcase and not think that I'm connected to the stuff in there at all until I show up at the destination that I'm flying to and have the luggage not accompany me. And then all of a sudden, like, well, that's my favorite pair of shorts, right? Or that's my, I mean, I, I have, I only have two pairs. So if you're new, I wear the same outfit every time, every week. And here's the reason. Because I don't worship clothing. (laughs) We're going to read about that in just a second, actually. And you'll see that Jesus loves me more. (sighs) So, So you cannot serve both God and money. Capital M, money. Would you agree? We have mystical bonds with our stuff. There's something, when you declare that something is yours, there's some sort of spiritual, like, like it owns, it begins to own you. When, you. when you look at something and you say, ah, I'm just trusted with this. This isn't, this isn't like the end all be all. There, you're just free with it. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you can't go around your whole life mining things, mining things, and think that you have enough left over to follow me. That's just not the way it works. And for me, this is a very personal passage. Not that you're particularly interested, but I graduated from the fine institution, Miami of Ohio. And Miami of Ohio, we were a college before Florida was a state. So we are not connected with Florida at all. This is Miami, Ohio. Thank you very much. The fact that we even have to put the Ohio in there is ridiculous and insulting. It's a different sermon. I graduated with a finance degree. I became an investment banker right out of college. And I did pretty well at it because it involved people and I like talking and selling and I could do all of this. And I'm 23 and I'm pitching to a $73 million account and I'm thinking I'm all that and I'm wearing suits, believe it or not. And, and I got promoted several times. And I got a job offer. I was doing so well. I got a job offer to be a bond trader on the floor of a $26 billion company. Now this was in the 90s when $26 billion actually bought something. You know what I'm saying? And this job, I mean, it was like six-figure income, right? Not counting the decimal, right? I make six figures now if you count the decimal. <laughs> or the comma. Make seven figures if you count both. But it was like a bunch of money plus bonuses and commission, and it was great. I'm like, this is awesome. Now, as part of a, a, a promotion I just received, uh, my bo- It's okay. It's okay. Where are you going? Bathroom? Okay. All right. 
That's all right. Sometimes it just happens, right? Will any of you get up now? I literally have people who walk into the service saying, hey, my kid is a little rough this morning. They may call me out. Please don't say anything. And I say, I make no promise. I make no such promise. Anyway, I'm sorry. If you're new to our community, if there is a spiritual gift of attention deficit disorder, it is present. So as part of a new new promotion, my boss was a Christian. He asked me to teach his Sunday school class at this church. He was going at my new territory. So I'm like, you just gave me a big raise and a big promotion. Of course, I'll teach your Sunday school class. It was for a a group of high schoolers. And it was just a little bitty church. um, and, And, you know, I wasn't a real solid Christian at all. I thought I was, really wasn't. I was chasing money, whatever. Teaching them, write my Sunday school answers, my Sunday school stories. The Friday I got a job offer to be a bond trader, that Friday I told the bond trading folks, hey, I'll tell you on Monday. That Saturday after that Friday, I get a call from the church saying, hey, we want to hire a youth pastor. We've never had one and we think you'd be great. We can pay $17,000. Now that was when $17,000 didn't go very far. (laughs) And I went, oh, well, this is a pretty easy decision. I'm going to go trade bonds for like six figures, right? I mean, why would I waste time with 20 kids and $17,000? So I'm like, okay, whatever. Honored that you'd ask. I'll tell you Monday. So I just went through the rest of my weekend. Sunday night, I decided to pray about it. This is how spiritual I was. And for the first time in my life, as I was praying, God spoke in not a way that was crazy, mystical, whatever, but in a way that was undeniably him. And what he said, and I've never forgotten it, was this verse. You cannot serve both God and money. And I was bummed. (laughs) Because I was like, so this isn't a choice between jobs. This was a choice literally between gods. And in that moment, God just gave grace to see it for what it was in my heart. Not for you, but for me. It was a choice between gods. And something really weird happened that night because Monday morning I walked in with great joy, said no to the bond thing, said yes to the youth pastor thing. And the joy that came out of that decision was amazing. And purely because I didn't have to wear suits anymore. (laughs) I came to work in shorts and have never looked back. Now, I share all of that to say, anytime I come to this passage of Scripture... This isn't a passage of scripture for me. This is my story. Do you think that struggle is over? No way. That's why my modeling career, you know, I have this thing I do on the side, this calendar I'm working at, and it's just not taken off. No, I mean, of course it's still an issue. So when Jesus capitalizes money and names it as a rival, that's very real for me. You need to know that. And I think for a lot of us who think that, yes, we can kind of have all of our stuff and love Jesus too, he just with great gentleness but with great truthfulness comes and he says, no, you can only have one fundamental loyalty. You can only have one fundamental allegiance. And you got to pick. Now, what Jesus does is we think he starts talking about something new. And we're going to read a piece of the Bible that comes right after this that has been some of the most cliched, trivialized Bible stuff that America can do to a piece of the Bible. 
So I'm going to read it knowing that for a lot of us this is total cliche, and we think it's separate from what just came before it. So, continuing on, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? That's why I'm going to start preaching shirtless. I just say, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away food in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor and spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the people that don't know God run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Well, I kind of paraphrase. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, anybody live in this perfectly? You're going to raise your hand on that? Yes! You should be up here teaching, because I'm horrible. I read these words and I go, I don't even know what that's like. Right? We, our whole world and news cycle feeds on anxiety. I mean, there are new things to be worried about every single week, it seems like. Hey, you thought the plastic you used to microwave your food was safe? No, it can cause cancer. You thought the diet soda that you drank to lose weight was safe? No, it'll kill you. Right? The water you were drinking? Nope, it's got all sorts of chemicals in it. Right? I mean, I mean it literally, we, there, there are entire industries built on keeping us afraid of things. So these words of Jesus hit us. And, and for me, I turn them into kind of self-help and cliche. Right? Because it's like Jesus just saying, you know, guys, really, God takes care of the flowers and the grass. He'll take care of you, no problem. But I think that understanding does violence to the text and it does violence to the context. Jesus has been just talking about treasurings. And now he goes into worry. Do you think that's a random combination? No. Because if you treasure wrongly, you worry because your treasure is insecure. Jesus, I mean, let me ask you a question. Has it ever bothered you that there are people today who love Jesus who are starving to death? Well, well how come he's not feeding them? That there are people today who are beaten who are persecuted, who don't have clothes or food or clean drinking water. I mean, Americans can read about this and say, oh, that's wonderful. But the rest of the world can't read this and take it seriously, can they? I mean, has it ever bothered you that Jesus talks about grass and he says, hey, look at how great God takes care of the grass. It's here this morning and then tomorrow is thrown in the fire. See, I think we fundamentally misunderstand this passage. It's not teaching what we think it's teaching. Because if it's teaching that God takes care of everybody who loves Him, 
then let's right now all pack up and go to the third world and look at the people who love him and see how well he's doing. How many of you have suffered really difficult things and you love Jesus? Right? <laughs> Some hands are going very, yes. So either God's wrong, I'm wrong, the Bible's wrong. Those are your only options if we understand it this way. I think there's a different, underway we sh- a different way we should understand it. We separate this from the teaching that just came before it about treasuring. I think this is intimately connected. What Jesus is saying, he's not pointing to grass and birds and saying, hey, bad things never happen to grass and birds and you're better than that and so bad things will never happen to you. See, that's how I hear it. As an American, I think Jesus is all about my happiness. This manifesto of his isn't about happiness. It's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. It's not about security. Jesus is trying to build kingdom people. Not looking for happy people. Not looking for people whose primary investment is their own goodness, however they define it. He's not looking for people who just care most about whether or not they're safe and secure. He's trying to build kingdom people. And what he's doing, he's not holding up birds and grass as examples of security. He's holding them up as examples of carefreeness. He's like, listen, do birds and grass worry about their own death? Do birds and grass worry about the economies of the world? Do birds and grass take any thought to what happens tomorrow? No. Even though bad stuff happens to grass and birds, Jesus could walk through the marketplace and they would sell dead birds. So is the point about God takes care of all the birds? And Jesus himself says, hey, look at the grass. It's here this morning and by this afternoon's thrown into the fire. Is the point about how God takes care of grass? No. Jesus isn't saying, follow me and nothing bad happens. In fact, everywhere else, he just says the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. But do not be afraid. I've overcome the world. What Jesus is doing is so radical, we would rather make him a self-help guru by giving us some helpful advice about worrying. What he's doing is he is inviting us to abandon all the stuff we store up as treasure, because that stuff leads to worry. If your treasure is your youth and your appearance, you cannot help but worry about getting older. If your treasure is your money, you cannot help but worry about the economy. If your treasure is your family, you cannot help but worry about all the possible horrible things that could happen to them. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't worry, guys, I got it. He's saying, look at your worrying, trace it back to your treasuring, and abandon storing up for yourselves treasurings here. Because if you seek my kingdom, and all seek means is treasure it, If you find your treasure in my kingdom, nothing can touch that. Everything else will take care of itself. And that doesn't mean nothing bad will happen. Some of us are terrified we'll die one day. Yes. Yes. 
Some of us are terrified about getting older. It's going to happen anyway. Jesus, see, Jesus is so radical. He's saying, he says this other places. Don't be afraid of anybody who can kill you. Like, what's that? That's nothing. Be afraid of the one who can damn you to hell. That's something you should be afraid of. Okay? I'm afraid of the killing people thing. Do you see how radical Jesus is? He's not saying, follow me and nothing bad happens. Because either, either he's wrong, he's a liar, or I've misunderstood it. Instead, he's saying, what will happen will happen. And you're worrying about it won't add a day to anything. God will have grace for you whenever you hit it. And even if the worst thing you can imagine comes to pass, my kingdom is so big, so vast, and so good, you're still secure. If your security and identity and worth is wrapped up in what you have, what you own, and who you know, all of that is threatened because of the tenuous nature of this place. And it causes us to worry, to stress, to fret, to grab, to hold. So he's not saying, he's not saying don't be concerned about your family. And don't be concerned about, it. fine. But worry, this is a strong word. It's this obsessive agonizing over. And he's saying, if you get your treasurings wrong, you will be dominated by concerns for your life. If you get your treasurings right, you can live as carefree as birds and flowers in God's good world. Do you believe that the worst thing that could happen to you could happen and you're still safe in God's world? I don't believe that. So I fret about all the diseases I could have, about all the things that could happen to my kids, about whether or not we'll have enough for, you know, to take care of our, our little boy who has Down syndrome. Right When we die, who's going to take care of him? So I got all my treasurings cooking over here. And some of them are quite good treasurings. But they own me. And so I spend all my time over here fretting and worrying and agonizing. And Jesus has come along saying, you know what, guess what? My kingdom is unaffected by terrorism. My kingdom is unaffected by poverty. My kingdom is unaffected by pandemics or swine flu. My kingdom's unaffected. Should we be concerned with it and involved in the world? Of course. We're salt and light. But imagine a scenario where you aren't held captive by fear. And it's not because bad things won't happen to you. But it's because even if they do, you're still safe in God's world. Now that, for me, is revolutionary. Because I want to spend my whole life keeping pain and disappointment away. And I've been unsuccessful. And I think of how much time and energy I have like wasted on trying to manage God so that nothing bad happens. Jesus, I mean, let me give you a dumb example. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we were kind of fun and playful, and then it was like, let's kick ourselves in the teeth for a little bit and call it preaching. But this, I mean, this just smacks me in the face. I'm turning 40 this year. Now, for some of you, you go, 40. That's nothing. You're a kid. And I want to hear from you. 
Others of you are going, oh, 40. And that's how I've lived my whole life, even like 38. 40 just sounds so middle-aged. It sounds so like adult. And, and, and I got to tell you, I'm not looking forward to 40. And, and, and there is this, and, and I've been really reflecting on it because our culture worships youth. My, the, my world wants to tell me that my best years are behind me. Now, we're the only culture, Western culture is the only culture in the history of the world to denigrate older people, to view them as worthless and burdensome. Everywhere else, they're honored. Everywhere else, you are honored to welcome an older person into your midst and to learn from them. But here, we stick them in homes and everyone's getting plastic surgery to look younger. Like, age is bad here. So I'm going, okay, Jesus. Now, this is a dumb example, but here's my worry, getting older, getting older, my best years are behind me. Okay, so let me trace it back. What's my treasuring? My treasuring is a kind of life, right? When you're young, the world is just all open and it's all possibilities. Now I got a mortgage and I got kids and I got obligations. Back then, I could drink milkshakes and it didn't matter. Now I look at one and I just, I get a double chin. <laughs> right? Back then, I had hair in all the right places. I'm not going to go into the other part. Right? I mean, there's just this sense where I, I recognize that for me, youth meant a kind of way of looking at life. And that was a treasure for me. And so what Jesus is doing is he's not just saying, hey, Mike, don't worry, I got it all covered. No, I am getting old. Er. What he's saying instead is, that treasure is so insecure. Give that up. Treasure me most of all. Everything else will take care of itself. And you can be free. As free as birds and as free as grass to live life in my good world. Bad things are going to happen to us. They are. It's promised. Jesus warned us. I think God prevents any number of things from not happening. But there are things that do. When you have a passage like this, you can just say, well, I maybe deserved it. Maybe it's punishment. Maybe he's disciplining me. Or you recognize that was never the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to beckon us away from the worrying of the treasures that are corruptible into treasuring something you can't lose. And that deals with worry. Are we preaching? Okay, so here's what I'd like to do. Would you close your eyes for a moment? We close our eyes around here a lot. God does His best work, of course when our eyes are closed. And at some point, I need to be able to let the ladies focus. Just think about that for a second. It's horrible. That is awful. That is awful. All right, so close your eyes. I was serious about that part. Would you take a moment and think about what you worry about? What other people are going to think of me? Do we have enough for retirement? My 401k is in half. I don't have a job. I'm sick or could be. My kids are blowing out. What do you worry about? 
And once you've identified that, would you trace it back to what you treasure? So what's the treasuring that leads to the worry? And I want you to name that in front of the Lord. And I want you to understand His invitation is to give up that treasuring and embrace a new one. And if you're like me, that sounds impossible. But I want you to bring it before Him. God, I treasure money. And so I worry. God, I treasure my family. And so I worry. God, I treasure my health. And so I worry. Find the worries, go back to the treasures, bring the treasures before God. Now, brothers and sisters, some of us are held captive to fear and anxiety in ways that are utterly debilitating. And I believe Jesus invites us to abandon that yoke for a different one. And I believe that there are some of us here who are crippled, if you will, by worry and fear. And Jesus comes and He invites us to find treasure in Him. And I don't know about you, I can't do that by myself. And so, we want to take a moment just to pray as a family together. Because if this service is like the other two, there are a whole bunch of us for whom this is a very real issue. Maybe you're here and you can name the treasure, you can name the worry, and you don't know what to do next. Or maybe you're here and you just feel debilitated because there's always something new to worry about. Or maybe you're here and you just recognize, man, I've been storing up all sorts of things and I want to see Jesus as the treasure, but I just don't know how. In a moment, um, I'm gonna invite those of you who would like to um, just to stand up right where you are and to be prayed for. And I need to tell you a couple of things. We'll never embarrass you in a setting like this. We're not gonna ask what the deal is. What we're going to do is when you stand, we're going to gather around you as family and we're just going to pray over you. And we're not going to pray, fix you or, you know, your sin problem or any of that. We're not going to get weird, but we're just going to ask God to do the work in you that you can't do for you. So um, if that's you this morning, if you just are dominated by this and you are sick of living that way, uh, would you just stand up right where you are? And we're going to pray. Thank you for being honest. And all you're doing, you don't have to worry about saying anything or feeling anything. All you're doing is you're just honest in saying, I'm treasuring wrongly, and because of that, I worry anxiously and obsessively over these things.
and I just want to be free. There are more of you out there. Then this isn't a guilt thing, a shame thing. This is just, this is what we do. We're in the family of Jesus. Now, for those of you that are seated around the room, um, if you uh, love Jesus and uh, if you're comfortable with it, I want to invite you together, not yet, but together around the people who are standing and just put a hand on their shoulder and I want you just to pray that God's Spirit would come and begin to rearrange the treasures. That God would reveal Himself in ways that allow us to see Him as the treasure. That God would give courage and breathe faith. Do not pray that God would fix them because they're more honest than the rest of us. Or that God would deal with their sin because we're all sinners. But would you instead bless what God's doing in them? Because you don't stand up in front of a bunch of people you don't know unless God's doing something. Okay? Standing people, I want you just to close your eyes and receive this. Don't worry about how you're feeling. This is only the beginning of a conversation. This doesn't happen right now, and it doesn't happen just one time. But I want you to know what Jesus has in view is a kind of life that is utterly foreign to American life. So, those of you who are the prayers, who are seated, would you look around the room? Ben, we're going to need you wherever you are. Would you look around the room and would you identify somebody that you could go pray for? And it'd be great if we could have large clumps of people around all of these people, okay? So if you're comfortable with it, if you're new to church or new to Jesus, don't want to, don't feel like you gotta. Everybody else would just stand up and gather around people. We have a whole bunch of people over here, Ben, folks. All right, now, if you, are, if you stood up to be prayed for, would you just raise your hand real quick because now we don't know who you are. Okay, over here. Folks over here, right there. So, seated people here. There's where you want to go. Okay. Do we have enough people around these crew? Or the people in the back corner looking at me right now, you can go down and pray for these people. All right. Are you ready? I'm going to pray for you and then you'll pray for them, okay? Lord Jesus, by the authority of your name and the power of your kingdom, we beg you to come and break the yoke of worry and anxiety over these, your children. Lord Jesus, we recognize that everything in our world tells us to find value and security in what we have and in what we do and in who we know and what people think. And Jesus, we want to be defiant against that. We recognize, God, that you are the treasure. We recognize that with this little bitty faith we have, that you are the most important thing. And God, help us to believe it to the depths of our being. And I pray that you would come, you would send your spirit to do the work in your sons and daughters that we can't do for ourselves. God, that you would literally rearrange the treasurings of our hearts. And we know we have a part, God. But in these moments, 
Would you draw near? Would you bring grace? Would you give courage to the faint-hearted? Would you give hope to the hopeless? Would you give faith to those of us who just don't believe you're that good? And Jesus, come and energize the prayers of your people. And so brothers and sisters, would you now begin to pray over the folks you've gathered around and take as much time as you need. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.